Welcome to Ecobolic Radio, a listening experience dedicated to making the world stronger, one conversation at a time. Because strength is never a weakness. Welcome to Ecobolic Radio with your host, Derek Witzke. Today's episode, I'm super excited because I get to sit down with good friend and founder of Hate Brand Apparel and Habit Coffee, Matt Vincent. Matt is also a collegiate track and field athlete, as well as a two-time world champion in Highland Games. Matt has a successful podcast called Um So, and he travels the world documenting the strength and conditioning mindset and how that has led to the process and how he uses the process daily to empower not only the people that he gets to interact with, but also continue to grow the brand that he is so passionate about. All right, Matt. Welcome to the show. I'm uh, super stoked to have you. Uh, we're gonna yeah, talk- dude. I'm I'm excited you're doing this, man. Yeah, you know, it, it sort of was like it, it's a funny story, and I should probably tell it now. And it's as good a time as any. So, one of my athletes at Eastern Michigan University in fucking 2002, when I was starting my coaching career, she was a pole vaulter. She's gonna be on. Uh, ninja warrior on uh television like the next week it's like she's all right yeah right but she pole vaulters are the weirdest (laughs) they are they're um yes yes they are like sprinter sprinter jump gymnast jumpers and do you remember like going back to like 2002 ish and sort of through that that's how it worked you were a gymnast that <laughs> right, got, right. that became a pole vaulter like that's where the first american pole vaulters were all pulled from was gymnastics Well, all right. So you got to think of it this way. And like, if you're going to be, and sorry if I offend any uh, gymnast out there, (laughs) I'm not, I'm not really sorry about it. (laughs) But if you're going to go to the collegiate level as a gymnast, like that's a rough bit of business because you've essentially have already missed the boat. That's a, yes, you are not going to the Olympics. You're not going to the Olympics as a 22-year-old gymnast. No, people don't realize or 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 19. I have no idea how old college people are, apparently. Well, you know, some really smart ones get there when they're 16 or 17, (laughs) but they got that weird mustache that doesn't fully grow in. Yeah, that's a good look. I like that It is a good look, right? And they're totally awkward because they know they're young as fuck, and everybody else is like, hey, look, it's the young kid. Like, you think people get bullied in high school. Imagine being a 15-year-old in an advanced physics second-year university class. You, you, might yeah. as, you're, you stand up. Okay. So anyway, pole vault, you're making a good point because what people don't realize is the majority of girls that are doing gymnastics in college, that's mm-hmm. where you retire to after yeah. the peak of your gymnastics career. And it's not a bad thing, but there's been no, a No, you're just going to get bigger, less flexible – yeah, you get older and more of an adult. Yeah, yeah, your yeah. body's changing. A lot of uh, U.S. Olympic uh, gymnasts. It's interesting because you're like, hey, where are they now? Other than the one that does the weird rap videos now, but the majority of them go on to compete for like four more years at the university level, and that's the retirement, right? right? Well, it's, yeah, I mean, at least it pays for school, you know. That's the way it was for us, right? Like, so for people that don't realize that are listening right now, so Matt and I. We didn't meet until recently, but we have so many people in common in our general circle of life that we might actually be related. So, <laughs> so we were, yeah, it's a it's a weird incestuous circle. It's super incestual, and the fact that we didn't meet earlier is a bit of a mystery. Like if I go back almost uh, 
man, it seems like it must be about eight or nine years. The one time that I got quoted in Milo magazine is the magazine that you're on the cover of. Right, right, which is really strange. Super strange, and a lot of common friends and whatnot, but we were both collegiate thrower career. I remember spending an entire day at a track meet where I had the best performance of my life in front of seven people, four of which I was related to. Yes, and, and that's, that's pretty fucking spot on. And it's really strange, right? Because we put so much energy into these sports and we really loved it. I mean, I know I did, but man, talk about a, a, an invisible existence for the amount of effort that you put in. You know, but I'll, I'll, I'll say... I don't know if groupie is the right word. I um, think I use groupie for collegiate. Yeah. 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 But collegiate track and field, man, it is a co-ed sport and you got to travel with chicks. And usually, and I, and I'm, I'm not saying this to be like weird, but I'm going to say that predominantly the best looking women in all of athletics are in track and field. And the reason I say that is if you're a guy that's attracted to a distance runner's body, she's on your team. If you're a guy that's, that's true. attracted to a power athlete's body, she is also on that same bus. It's a very, I'd say I'd say you got a pretty high quality variety. High quality and a lot of them. Yeah, high quality variety and there's a bunch of them. However, I mean I wasn't I wasn't not checking out the chicks on the volleyball team on campus. <laughs> Yeah, my girlfriend played volleyball in college. Right? Yeah, of so, course she did. Why yeah, wouldn't she? Yeah, exactly. She's, oh, cool. A bunch of six foot tall, beautiful women. Yeah, it's exactly <laughs> yeah, weird. It's, like people are like, oh man, you, you really like that chick from the volleyball team? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, and I remember the conversation clearly because I dated this girl my entire college life. And they're like, you know, she's significantly taller than you. And uh, I, I remember thinking. Damn I'm like, right. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, man. I'm like, it's rad. Like you don't yeah, understand. I, I climbed that tree. Yeah, she's she's a six foot three. She was six foot five and a half when we would go out on New Year's Eve. And you know what? It oh, was fucking shit. cool. It was. Cool. Oh yeah, it's cool, dude. Yep. I was never the guy that cared about that. Like, what do you mean no. you're intimidated because your chick's tall? Who gives a shit? No, like, uh, not only was I never intimidated, but I was into it. I was into it. And then if I could throw right. in a personality of like a high achiever on top of that, so. <laughs> Like for me, I've always been attracted to really high achieving people, women included. And, right, right. And it, I'm not talking about people that are out there. You don't have to be a fucking, I'm not talking millionaire. I'm talking personality trait, like people that just are driven, driven. Right. And yeah, yeah. People that got it, that, yeah. that you don't have to motivate. Exactly. 100%. Like, because you find that like and this is definitely something I wanted to talk to you about today, like someone that's gone into the entrepreneurial path and, and, and really putting a lot of energy into it, your personality almost by default requires somebody that gets it. And, and I, I'm not a big believer that you have to, you know, like date somebody that's exactly on the same psychological plane as you and all that shit. But when you are vibrating at like an 11 and somebody else right. is vibrating at a seven, Good luck. Yeah, it's it's tricky, man. And, you know, my wife and I were actually talking about this last night. And one of the we, – we're very, very different humans. Um, she she can handle doing the more domestic stuff and doing some, some more regular life things way better than I tolerate them. And I think having that balance for me has been really important. And the other side of what makes 
it really work is while she's not she's not insane like I am right and it's a weird thing to explain to people, but like I'm fucking crazy and I know that and I understand that that drive isn't everyone's cup of tea and it's not and it's across the board. It's like, well, this isn't good enough. How do we fix it? How do we optimize? How do we fix? How do we make this better? How, how does this go? Time's ticking. Go, 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 go. And what she does that deserves more respect than I give it credit for is she's never in the way. Oh, that's interesting. Elaborate a little bit, because I think that's a really important point. Because it, some and, people are going to take it the wrong way, but I think I know well, where she's, you're going with she's, this. She never has ever been an anchor. She's never ever been, well, what about me? What about, you're gone a lot. Right. You know, well, I don't get to do this. I don't get to see you. She's never been jealous of the travel, of of the going, of... And and I think part of that is she's aware of what the reality of that travel is. Is it's not dinners and vacation. It's it's, it's not fucking party time. You're you're actually no. I just working. happen to be in California. <laughs> you know what I mean. Right. And it's cool, but it's only cool to me. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, yep. You and, know what'd you do today? I'll edit a video and then had a three hour conversation with a guy. Like that's it. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, it's exactly it. It's uh, and and then when nobody else was around, I had this really reflective moment eating a fucking burrito, staring right. at the ocean. Right. And yeah, yeah, I walked to the gym and I rode for forty five minutes on a salt bike, and then I walked back realizing the weather was really nice. Exactly. And and this is people don't understand like how complicated this is in in worlds where there's a lot of travel on relationships. So. As you know better than anyone, um, so I go over to Saudi Arabia to work. Not exactly mm-hmm. a hotbed of nightlife activity, right? It's no, uh, no. And you would be amazed at how many. Well, not not the activity you're looking for. Not the activity I'm looking for, right? Like you know, what people have to understand in and even prior to that, during the Poliquin days, where we were, you know, we were in cool cities. We were in Stockholm for like fucking fourteen days, and we were doing these cool things. The ins- okay, so the immediate mentality in a relationship is, woe is me, I'm staying at home while you get to go see the world and do these wonderful things. Okay. Correct. Correct. Now, I'm not going to be a complete bullshitter and say that there isn't aspects of the, wow, I'm in Stockholm, this is amazing. But when you do this type of stuff for a living and you're doing it with a goal purpose, travel is not all rainbows and fucking kardashian episodes not yeah it's not all flowers and sausages man it's not all flowers and sausages and now you had spoken to me just before we got going today that you know for example you just did a 22 day stretch with 48 hours of yeah collectively 48 hours collectively (laughs) so as you as your company's growing and and as you're putting in the effort to to make that grow how do you deal with that type of travel I think part of it, since I, it's relatively booked in advance, Yep. I just deal with the schedule as it shows up. I'm like, oh, well, that's what I have to do. And yeah. so you just head down and go, right? You don't question it. You, you booked it for a reason. And, and then remember that I booked this. Yes. Like there isn't someone telling me you need to go to California. You need to go to Denver to go see these people. That's, that's me. That's my drive. And that's me seeking out these other people that inspire and motivate me and these other stories and where business is. And 
you know, realizing that while I love home and I love being here in Louisiana and I love my house and dogs and wife and, and all these things that are comfortable, I don't want to be comfortable. I I want to go and do, and now's the time to do it. Um, you know, I just, I feel that internal ticking that, that the clock is going. And so I deal with it because now, now's the time, man. Like now's the time that, that people are watching. Now's the time that I have a chance to build a business based on, uh, based on me. Yep. You know what I mean? Like, it's a really weird thing, but like hate brands is doing great, but like, I'm not invited to be on podcast and I'm not talking to people on my podcast. I'm not making YouTube videos about running a business, right? That I'm making videos about what I'm doing with my life and what fires me up. And the business just happens to be a way for the the people that enjoy the things that I do to support me through a similar mentality. Right. So it's almost like hate brand has become a medium of your personality or your personal belief system. Correct. Yeah. And that's, you know, essentially that's what it's been all along. And I think that's been part of the success of it is that it actually has an ethos, right? It's not. It's it's not just a, a a thing, right? Yeah, like anybody can can stamp on a a fucking t shirt with some silk screen and and make a slogan and probably some bullshit that they saw somewhere else and they stole and put it on their shirt and they put it on whatever you know Shopify website. But there's no like there's no soul to that product, right? And and Correct. We, we talk about like the old days of, of, of product development. We talk about these ideas that people, you know, early entrepreneurs, even when you look at, say, the founder of Nike, he created a shoe because it was a passion project because right. of, of his desire for running, etc. Okay, now Yeah, he didn't set out to be a billionaire. He didn't set out to be, be a billionaire and, and have a really weird office that nobody's allowed into. It was <laughs> it was it was him making a fucking great product that he believed in. Now, all these years later, Nike's become the monster that Nike is and Apple's become Apple and all this stuff. But what is really strange to me and where I think like hate brand really is quite a bit different. You're very much in the same vein as these early entrepreneurs that were like, you know what? This is what I'm creating because it represents a creative aspect or a belief system or something that I feel is personally important. And those that get on board will have very similar mentalities in a lot of regards. And because of that, you almost create this like big, you know, it's an overused word in a lot of ways, but like almost like a big tribalism towards just an understanding of how to live a lifestyle. And the shirt is like the flag that that lifestyle wears. Whereas so many people in the quick buck version of social media today, because it's so Well, they want all results and no grind. All results, no grind, right? And as much as people want to say, oh, I'm out grinding or hustling, like, go get fucked, bud. Go get fucked. You're you're drinking a a beanless coffee. That's what they're doing. Right. Congratulations. You you took your laptop to a coffee shop and you're – I don't know what it is you're doing. But, like, you know, the the grind is – the years of training alone in my garage by myself developing a thing that I love. Yep. That was that I don't give a shit that no one's watching. I do this for me. And that was, you know, when hate brand originally started was I want to make stuff I want to wear. 
Right. Maybe someone buy enough of it that I get to make stuff that I want to wear for free. I tell you, and there probably couldn't be a more pure business model than that when you think of it, right? Like, how do I offset the cost of my desire? Coffee habit. So my coffee, coffee habit. Exactly, <laughs> right? what I've done as well. Yeah, it's like, it's like, I really like coffee. I really like this coffee. How do I get somebody else to like it too so we can share the fucking profit? Like, that is how George Clooney started his tequila company he sold for a billion bucks. Right, a billion, a billionaire, which is crazy. But it was the same mentality. Is we really being like George it. Clooney part helps. <laughs> yeah, you know it's weird. Like I think it gives him an edge. I could be wrong, you know. But <laughs> I'd love to find out. I would love to find out if being George Clooney actually has benefited his life and business. I would like to think a little bit, but you can't be positive. You know. I mean, look, I'll t- I'll take six weeks of just The Rock shouting out my company every time he makes a post. No shit. Well, see, see what that does. See what I that don't does. think it would hurt. I don't think it bankrupts me. <laughs> I don't think it'll bankrupt you. You know, you know what's funny? Like if Dwayne, every three days, there was a post and he didn't even know it was happening. But let's just say hypothetically, I went to the Iron Paradise. And while I was hanging out in the Iron Paradise, unbeknownst to him, I may or may not have forgot a bag of Habit Coffee in the background. Right. That alone is going to supercharge your brand if it's consistent. You know, I, I've, I've only seen it once. Yep. Uh, and that was uh, November 2nd, 2015, Joe Rogan Day. Uh, we were working with Caveman Coffee at the time, uh, or I was, mm-hmm. and uh, I had sent them a kick today in the dick mug, and they posted it uh, with you know two bags of their coffee. It was like a Monday morning. And Rogan retweeted or reposted and retweeted the photo and happened to tag uh, Hate Brand with the mug. No kidding. This wasn't even like a genuine post. And we know the difference between the repost verse. Yep. Yeah. And so we went from like, ah, you know, we'll sell a couple hundred of these mugs and then not sell any more of them to, you know, fast forward three years later and we still sell that mug and still sell a thousand of them a quarter. And. That day, we sold 1,200 of them. Just from a glance. Just from a glance, right? Just that many more eyes. I mean, you figure his Instagram, his Twitter, his Facebook, where it all got posted, you figure that's two and a half million eyes? At least. And so, I mean, the conversion rate's really not great. Right. But, but eyes are eyes, man. And if you can get a billion eyes... Things you know, change very quickly, and and that's and that's why companies pay those big fucking bucks to have the Kardashians post a thing, even if it's something they don't give a shit about, because there's conversion. Yeah, the biggest irony in in United States commerce is the fact that the more famous and wealthy you become, the less you pay for. The, the less you pay for, right? Right, because it's it, it's very very strange. It is strange, and the same sort of thing happened to a buddy of mine, and he got a full on shout out from Joe Rogan a couple years ago. So the guy's name's Keegan Smith and he's on the show. uh, One of the other episodes, he's an Australian strength coach, but he created the real movement project, which, you know, he incorporates a lot of like Ido Portel, Olympic lifting, Chris summer stuff. 
And Joe Rogan just hey, found a that Edo Portel guy. We'll come back to that. Yeah, we'll come back to Edo. So uh, he uh, he gives Keegan like a full on shout out. Like he was just Whoa. like, you need to go check out this guy's story because Keegan talks about it on the podcast. And and I've known Keegan Keegan for a while, but Keegan basically went from you know traveling by backpack and sleeping on dirt floors on a, like a, a world tour for off and on for like six years. Um, just out of choice. He, he just wanted to. And then he was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going back to strength and conditioning. I'm going to go back to coaching, which he did, you know, coached in rugby league at the highest level and then Australia. And he's an interesting guy because he's a lot like us in the sense that he really wants to be surrounded by these personalities in the industry. So what does he do? He goes and trains with Ido Portel in Thailand. He goes and trains with Chris Summers. He goes and does the entire Wim Hof breathing course in Poland. Like mm-hmm. he's one of those guys that's like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to go and put my hand right into that fire and learn. Well, it's it, it, it's something Kelly Sturette and I talk about as being a super tourist. A super tourist, right. You know what I mean? Like go willing to – don't fucking read the article, man. Go. No. Go. Go learn firsthand and take what you can from it. Yeah, yeah. Don't be a Walt Mitty, right? Like, it's an English right. term, right? They made the movie about it here in the U.S., but it's an English term. Walter Mitty is the guy that did everything and did nothing because it was all inside his head, right? Right. And, you know, and that's what a lot of people become because of how easy it is to access. And that's where we have to be careful a little bit because we can get online and literally climb inside another planet, you know? Uh, yeah, it's so easy to have that access that it damn near feels virtual. Like it, it almost feels like we were there, but were you, or was it just in your head? You know? Yeah. And, yeah. It's tricky. And, but man, I guess that's a line that you've got to hold, right? That, yeah. that the life experience part of it and, and all that is really what makes the difference. And that's what matters to you. And, and the weirder spot is, and I think we've spoke about it on different occasions is the, the cooler life experiences you have and the cooler people that you get to share those moments with, like the, the weirder it becomes, um, right. there becomes this sense of it's, it's not, it's not braggadocious, right. To, that, you know, you're holding a conversation with me and you're going to reference Saudi Arabia a lot. Right. Right. You know, it's, it just is, that's what your life is. Yep. But it's really hard for the average person that you're holding a conversation with who say, hasn't gone on a vacation or does the same two-week vacation to the beach every year, that it doesn't seem like you're just trying to one-up them. And so you almost have to find these other people that are doing something similar to even even communicate with on a regular basis and not seem like a prick. You're making a really good point because, you know, for people that are just finding out who I am through, you know, social media now, it's like, and I know we've talked about this. It's like, I've been drumming that drum for a long fucking time. Like one of the most embarrassing stories. And I think I finally told you this when you're out in Colorado last was I started blogging like legit blogging before the term existed back in like 2001, 2002. I actually was doing HTML blogs because I I was bored. (laughs) I was bored as fuck. Right. I was training. I was training full time as an athlete. and, And it's really funny. Like I remember getting, 
like almost a personal like cease and assist letter from TC Loma <laughs> at T Nation because what I would do is I'd take like the first paragraph of one of his articles or T Mag article, put it on my website, and then they could continue reading it by going to T Mag. Shit that is now considered industry practice, right? Right, but, right. But back right, then, right. no one had done that before. So, so he's like, Hey man, I think you're taking our information. I explained to him like, no, I'm actually, I'm just redirecting information, but I'm getting people to read my personal blogs by doing it. And I remember his email exchange was like, huh, that's interesting. I don't know how I feel about it, but okay. That's what he said right back in like fucking <laughs> 03. Perfect. Yeah. In 2008, I'm writing articles for fucking TMAG. That's where that journey went. Yeah, right. 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 And, and so but like one of the most embarrassing things, and, and it's hard to tell people these stories because they're just like, there's no fucking way. Like, how is that possible? And it's like, it's possible because if you are pushing towards like uh, the the fringe all the time, weird shit happens. And my weird, weird shit, shit happens. Weird man. shit happens, right? So my super weird shit happened moment, and I remember like telling you a little bit about this, and it's and it makes me feel like a total asshole now because I was ignorant. But I think it's important for people to hear how this works is back in 2003, uh, Adam Nelson uh, had told Judd Logan, who I was being coached by, about this new supplement called Brain Quicken or Body Quicken, right? right. It had a couple different names. And uh, so we're out at the U.S. trials for track and field. I was as a spectator, you know, uh, watching at the time Adrian Blewett compete and some of these other people as teammates with A.G. Kruger. And they gave me this supplement. And I'm like, oh, this is cool. And it was a neurotropic, early day neurotropic. So I take a bunch of brain quicken, hammer this Red Bull. I'm, I'm like, I'm like fucking smelling purple and like talking yeah, in man, languages, I'm right? Singing, like, singing. So this is great. This is great. So I got really into it. And so I decided that because I was blogging, I was like, man, I'm going to reach out to this company, Brain Quicken, and ask them if they would sponsor me. So send him, fire him an email as soon as I get back to Ashland. Right away, a guy gets back to me and he's like, hey, you know, we don't do direct sponsorship, but we're working with this new system. Fucking amazing. This new system called an affiliate program. And yes. uh, right. And so I'm like, OK, what's an affiliate? And and the guy who at the time I didn't know sent me this huge chunk of HTML code. And they're like, you need to put this in on the page you want affiliate and, and put it into your code. So I'm like, okay, cool. So I add this HTML code and boom, I got this like big banner at the bottom of my website for Brain Quicken. If you buy a fucking bottle through my banner, I get a kickback. Yeah, you get, you get two bucks or whatever. I get two yeah, bucks, yeah, yeah. right? So what ended up happening is for like the next year, gashead.org, which was my website at the time, was getting a ton of traffic because I was the only track and field athlete at that level in the world that was blogging weekly about the details of our training. Right, and, and, and could write. And yeah, and I, and I, and I wasn't like, I, sometimes it, it felt like I was using my elbows, but for the most part, I could, <laughs> I could chicken peck out a pretty good thing. And, uh, and I was creative with it, like, you know, I was, it was what it was, right? And so- Sure, every it's a start. It was a start, man. So every couple of weeks, this fucking dude would call 
and I, I'll call him a dude for now because I'm an asshole. So this dude would call and he would just ask me about the supplements and ask me how training was going. And it was just a genuine, real human being having a conversation. I remember walking around in the backyard with this old piece of shit cell phone, having these conversations and the guy was just <laughs> engaging. And I'm like, and so I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. So I go through that until 2005. And then I go, I retire from track, go back to coaching. And because back then, my website had never been anything more than a creative outlet of boredom that as soon as I got quote unquote, a real job, I completely let it all go. All that. Yeah, of I, course. I right. just walked like, away from it, it man. Yeah. Like if it was a bridge, I burnt it. And, and I remember yeah. not giving two. Well, shits. we don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. Thank God. I got a job now. Stupid. <laughs> Stupid. Well, fuck all that work. What the fuck? Right. So, so I just let it go. And and from 05 through 2011, I never fucking thought about it again. I'd, I had other jobs. I'd been in the NFL. I was doing other shit. Life goes on. Flash forward, fucking sitting in Australia. Everybody's talking about the four-hour work week. And this guy named Tim Ferriss who's changing the psychology of the next generation of employment, right? And I'm just like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, Tim this, Tim that, fuck it, right? And uh, so finally this girl, uh, her name's Kat. So Kat in Melbourne was just on me all the time about, you got to read four-hour work week. So I finally, after a month in Australia <laughs> lecturing for the Polycon group at the time, I'm like flying home. I hit the airport. Ah, there's this book, four-hour work week. And I grabbed the book off the shelf. I'm sitting on the plane. I crack that fucking thing open. I get through the first introduction of Tim's book. And I lean back in the airplane, in the economy at the time. I lean back and I see <laughs> 15 hours of misery ahead of me. And I remember just being like, for fuck's sake. And what I'd realized is back in 2003, the guy calling me on the phone was the owner of Brain Quicken, which was Tim Ferriss. God damn it, dude. I love it. Fuck. And I don't I even, love it, man. Fuck, I lost the phone. I lost the number. I basically was like, yeah. hey, hey, Tim, fucking check you later, dude. I'm fucking <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting a job for 28K a year coaching track in Colorado. <laughs> I don't know don't what you're going to do. Bud. Yeah, fucking suck it, right? And Good luck selling brain pills. Yeah, those <laughs> nerd. Brain, good luck, nerd. And it's like, if there was ever a moment in someone's life of, okay, so make sure you remember the people that were nice to you. That would be a perfect yeah. example. Yeah, no shit, right? And you know what I what I take from that story as well, other than just being a fucking great anecdote, is. <laughs> but but Tim Ferriss didn't fall on your lap. No, not at all. I had to reach out to him. I had to. Well, track not even him. that you reached out, but you had also done all this work on the front end of it because you had a block. You, you had these other things that you felt internally driven to to produce instead of what we see a lot of track athletes do or top end athletes just stare at the fucking tv yeah man big time play video games yeah that in your boredom instead of just consuming you decided to put stuff out there right now i don't know where that change happens i don't know where that mix happens but it does yes. and that's you know, why whenever I had a job that was good and paid well and I was very, very comfortable, did I start writing? Why, did, why when I had a job that was very comfortable, did I need to start in my spare time doing a thing that didn't pay any money but was stressful and took time? You 
Oh, it's it's a weird. Why did I find a hobby that made me travel so much and ate up all my free time and did this thing? I I don't know where that changes in people. Oh, that's very interesting because that is extremely relatable to me. Um, right, because it's one thing to tell people like, oh, start writing. It's yeah. another thing. It's another thing that, to talk to the person who didn't have to be told that they felt compelled to do a thing. Right. And to do a thing that potentially could not be liked by the public. Or um, fucking doesn't have an end game. It does, well, and I'll be honest with you, that's something that I know for myself I struggled with because I knew that I really liked to get information out to people about the shit that I like to think about. But I kept feeling this overwhelming sensation that I had, you know, because of the way the internet is today. Well, why aren't you monetizing this? Why aren't you funneling? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? And I'm just like, it, it made me stop writing for a while because I'm just like, mm. that's not why I start like, fuck. That's not it's not like, why I started doing it. It's right. not why I do it. It's like, and not to be a dickhead, I have a really good job. It's a very unique job and it pays very yep. well. So when people get up my ass every time I produce something about why I haven't monetized it yet, it's like, well, to be honest, because for me, I never thought about it. I just wanted to put this fucking thought out there to see if other people can resonate with it because I think it might be important. Yeah, or how do, how do I boil down this little bit to try to be something that's translatable to everyone? How, how because... You know, for me, um, you know, lifting and and the drive that's come with it, and the lessons that I've learned over 22 years now of of consistent training, it's how do I explain that to the guy who's never lifted? And I don't honestly give a shit if you lift, but how do I get the marrow out of it to share with someone so that they can say? That applies to my relationship with my wife. That applies to my job. That applies to, to everything that I've got going on in my day-to-day -day life, barbell or not. Yes. See, okay, now you're making a really good point that resonates with me, and I hope it resonates with other people. Because I'll often make the comment that I use the medium of the weight room to relate a lot of shit about life. And yep. If I hadn't been an athlete or maybe I went a different direction, more than likely the medium would just be different, but it would still be the same intent. And and we can talk about the grind. Well, that's and, an intent that you and I both transferred to other things. Yes. Yes, 100%. It, uh, the things that we have learned by putting a barbell in our hands have has allowed the ability to progress or be successful um, at times very successful in other endeavors. Right. And it, for me, that message, that message is the, you know, it's, it's the stuff, like I said earlier, when no one's watching, right? Yep. Like that, that I've got to go do this because it's the accumulation of this work that gets me further. And the best part about strength and, and all that, that's really easy to explain to people is you may not be able to be the world's strongest man. The same reason that you may not be able to be a billionaire. There, there are some other factors at play besides your effort. And, but working hard and making progress every day, especially in the gym, it doesn't give a fuck about your genetics. It doesn't give a fuck about what your yesterday was or how good your breakfast is or what someone else has. 
you can't phone it in and you can't outsource the work. There's no fucking coupon for strong. No, dude, you can't. You can't say my assistant will take care of that. No shit. Yeah, man, you can't like every single repetition. If you take it seriously is a momentary example of personal accountability. Right. And that you have to show up and you have to do the work. You have, yeah, I, the, I guess the first time I thought about it, right, was talking with my tattoo artist, you know, and I guess because this comes across weird that I'm stoked to get tattooed and I'm very, very stoked that I get tattooed by arguably one of the best guys in the world. How I have a relationship with him, just a bit of luck. How I've maintained a relationship with him is by not being a piece of shit. Yeah, man, that's a really good point because like we've talked about this in the past. It's like sometimes who you know will get your foot in the door. What you yeah. know keeps you there. Um, right, right. That's yeah. Two two times Highland Game World Champion has opened a lot of doors. Now what I'm allowed to do once I get in that room has to do with me. 100%. And, and relationships are a perfect example of that because there's a lot of people you can get two seconds of their time and, and have a bit of a moment with. But to get two years... 10 years mm -hmm. or a lifetime with them is a whole nother level of, of, of personality. Um, I remember LeCharles Bentley said to me one time when I was working in the NFL, because it, it's a tough crowd. I, I'm not even going to lie there. There's egos, there's expectation. There's a lot of transient activity in the NFL. Well, and, it's, it's a world of, of top achievers and alphas. It, 100%. And, and he said, and he said to me very clearly one day, and he and I have been friends now for a decade. He said, your success as an athlete will buy you two seconds of our time. He goes, right. after that, you got to bring something to the table because we all have something on the table. Yeah. And a big part of that is what did you learn in those years? I don't give it like your total, like, man, your total doesn't translate. Right. It, it, it's an arbitrary fucking number. And but the lessons you learned from it of I have to go do this today so that I can do more tomorrow. Right. And if I don't do the homework, I don't get the opportunity. And if I don't get the opportunity, I can't make something of it. Okay. And, and this is something I've seen a lot, especially coming from our throwing background. What is it that you think these people are missing? And, and I know you've known mm -hmm. as many as I have that have success in sport, track and field example, but don't do anything or have any what appears to be ability to translate that into a successful life. Um, before you answer, for example, the Mac Wilkins, Duncan Atwood generation, uh, mm -hmm. there was a lot of Olympic gold medalists from that era that literally never could get it together in real life. Right. And... The guys I know that are that level of achiever and look, man, winning, winning two Highland Games World Championships isn't that level of achiever. It's not that level of singular focus. The Highland Games for me were a hobby while I had a normal job and career. I was able to perform well at it and it went great. Right. But if you're going to pursue, you know, let's just talk from what I know, being the best hammer thrower or being the best shot putter on earth 
you don't have a nine to five. Right. Correct. Your, your, your nine to five is throwing. That's your fucking job. And it should be, if you ever prefer, if, if your goal is that end game, then that's what you get to do. Yep. Now, with that said, there are other hours in the day that you could spend not watching TV or playing video games. And so where I see this, right, is you skip a very, very weird section of your life pursuing the Olympics. You you essentially go from being a 19-year-old or 20 or 21-year-old stud in college. Yep. Because you're a stud if you're going to go post-collegiate and pursue the Olympics. You have no choice. You, you may not be a national champion. But nope. you're stuck. Yep. You, you got something. You're a top top five, you know, top five percent. Yep. And you go from that life of being a broke dick college guy to I mean shit, maybe you signed a deal with Nike or whoever it is, and yep. now you're making seventy grand, maybe a hundred grand because you're winning some track meets. One hundred percent. Which is an insane amount of money to be twenty two. Especially when you come from typically zero scholarship college athlete. Right. And so you go from, you know, at best college not costing you money. Yep. And then now you've got this income that doesn't make sense to you. And most of these guys don't blow it because they don't ever grow out of being a college a college kid. You go from being 22 to pursuing the Olympics and essentially still living a dorm life and going to train every day. Like your lifestyle never progresses and evolves. I agree a hundred percent living four to a house and spend yeah, you live four to a house and you go, you train, you eat and, and you're in this really small window, but you're not looking at because your blinders are so focused on the Olympics. You're not looking at years down the road. You're not looking at, what do I do when I'm done throwing? Right. And and I don't know if you if if it's so focused that you that you can't look past it. But most most don't. And so it's all of a sudden you wake up and and because Father Time wins and eventually you're not the fucking top dog and you're not throwing, you know, even if you've done even if you won, let's say best case scenario you did four Olympics and picked up four fucking gold medals. Right. The shot put yeah. or the hand or the discus. Your L order. You're not fucking retiring, dude. No, you're not. Like you don't ha- you don't you don't have three years of starting NFL money. No. Nope. And you've put in sixteen years of track. One hundred percent. You're not Sean White. Right. And then all of a sudden, well, Sean White would be an interesting one to look at because yeah. Sean White has a lot of branches. Yes. Instead, you've put all your all your time and effort into this one barrel of winning this gold medal. And that comes with that gold medal is a lot of time of selfish and sacrifice and being a 30 year old living in a bunch of, you know, in a you know, four bedroom house with four other broke dick dudes yep. who are pursuing the same thing, this this shared passion. And you don't ever grow out of that to look at big picture of real life because because you don't have to. No, it, you, you get to be this teenager. Yep. You literally, you know, like uh, the old saying is, if I could only go back knowing what I know now. And people make that comment, right? I actually did that. And, and, and <laughs> it sounds rather fucking devious, but at like 28 years old, uh, not quite. I guess I was 26 when it started. At 26, I moved back 
onto a college campus to oh, train sh- full-time as an athlete. Weird. It was, it, it was equal parts weird and amazing. Because because you got all, you got all the fucking answers and none of the responsibility. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. So you know, like they're like, hey, so uh, how hard is it to talk to a chick when you're 18? Pretty fucking hard. How hard is it yeah. to talk to a 20 year old junior when you're 26? Super fucking easiest easy. thing in the world. Easiest thing in the world. <laughs> I, You've lowered expectations. It's super fun. You and you have some life experience. You got it's some great. life experience. So so you go in with a, a very loaded gun and a very close target. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's uh but the other side of it is uh, to reiterate the point that you're making. Having done this, is life gets gets very uh, it becomes limbo and a lot of people that get into those situations when they come out of it. Because not everybody goes to the Olympics. So you make this huge investment into time, a huge investment into Mm -hmm. self, a huge investment into this arbitrary task, which may or may not even be relevant to the real world. I mean, throwing And and most times you've made a bunch of weird deals, either with yourself or with these people around you that have that have, let's just be honest, tolerated. Yes. You doing your pursuit that this this fucking deal that you've made of like. If he, if he just let me accomplish this thing I'm after, it'll all sort itself out. 100%. And, and continuous justifications to the addiction because that's really what is happening. You are justifying a pursuit much like an addiction because it's not like we're it, – it's, it's not like you're working for a career that only represents a little piece of time and then the rest of your time is fulfilled with activities. It becomes a solitary existence – much like an addiction where the only thing you think about every single day is that training session or those training sessions. When you're not yep. training, all you're thinking about is when do I get to train again? When do I get Man, I've never I've never thought of it as as the addiction side and that it's fucking spot on. It's just like just if I can just get to this next thing, I promise it fixes yep. the time and the bullshit and the and and the me not paying attention and the me leaving Yep. The selfishness. Um, yeah. And then when you don't get your fix, which is typically some sort of success or some sort of justification to continue, what do you do? Well, I'll go back and I'll get in the gym or I'll go back and I'll get on the field and, and that will be like feeding that addiction again. And, and you, you can, you can fix Well, I can get it right this time. You can get it right this time. You know, the, the withdrawals of losing, can be fixed with a hit of training. And, yeah. And, and it, it's a really... Well, com- it's because it's your only fucking problem solving. Like, it's the only tool that you've got in the box at that point. Yep, 100%. You, you didn't develop as a, you know, as a as a person. You, did, you didn't develop and have to deal with situations in the real world where you're working and bummed out or right. disappointed by people who are allowed to disappoint you. <laughs> 100%. And, and when you do have setbacks there's this entire construct that's been created in sport to help you deal with that specific setback, a certain way of talking about it. Uh, you know, you have a knee injury like you had and people all use the same sort of language or construct to discuss the knee injury because it's almost like you have to, because if you deal with how real that is and how impactful that is on what's happening in your life, it will probably cause you to go deep, deep into a dark depression. So, right, we, so right. we use language constructs to lessen the severity. 
So now you become the hero in the myth and, and you do these things and people speak a certain way so you can get through it and you use these, these types of terminology to discuss the setbacks of an injury as this triumphant and very like clinical process. And then right, when, right. Yeah, bud, you fixed your fucking knee so you could throw rocks in a field. Field, right? Let's not fucking pretend this is something different than what it is. Absolutely. And so when all that goes away and the constructs are done, and like myself, I'm 41 years old and I'm struggling with an arthritic back right now or fucked up knees, okay, now I don't have any excuses anymore. I don't have anybody all that right. is listening to that going, oh, that's right, you're training for the Olympics. I need to support your emotional stability going through this injury because we need you to be an Olympic athlete. Now they're just like, oh, you're fucked up? Yeah, that's weird, man. That, that happens when you get old. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's <laughs> right? how it fucking goes. And, and there's nothing that you can do to offset it because when you were that athlete, it's such a protected little bubble, the addiction and the constructs and this and that. Okay, so that ends in four years for a lot of people or three and a half. And you get like, you get like accelerated into real life where no one gives a fuck. Yeah. Yeah. And, and most people, you know, the, the fucking perfect moment I always think of that, that, that seems like it to me is like season one of uh, Eastbound and Down. There's right. this moment where Kenny Powers is fucking slamming baseballs into the side of his brother's house and he's drunk as shit standing outside and his brother's like, what are you doing, man? And he's like, you know, I, he says, I'm, I'm fucking Kitty Powers. And he yells and he's like, nobody gives a fuck. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, yeah, that's that's it. That's that fucking moment of frustration that so many of these guys end up feeling. He's like, I, I fucking I, I won. Right. I, I did it all. And I won. And I did the things I said I was going to do. And no one fucking cares because. That's the reality of it, dude. There's no fucking there. There isn't, there is no top to this mountain that you think you're climbing. The sun comes up because you, dude, you foul three throws at the Olympics or you win gold. The sun came up the next day. Yep. And the people that loved you yesterday still love you. 100%. And, and those that don't know you are now, they don't give a shit. And now they're resetting to see who does it next. Right. Right. Yeah, cool. Full cool. moment, high five, on to the next. Yep. Now, here's this is going to sound very weird, and, and, and it comes from personal experience. One of the benefits to how social media has grown into what I would consider to be a monster of interaction, and not a monster as in it's under your bed and going to feel your leg when you're sleeping, more like the monster of this thing is growing on its own apparel and, and needs to be fed. It, is the fact that it's desensitizing finally some of the stigma related with, you know, people that have setbacks, drug suspensions, um, mm. CBD use now might be allowed by the Olympic Committee and WADA. Uh, That's for so big. Right. So, so some things that in our generation just did not exist because right. there, there wasn't enough voice to offset the minute and singular focus of that microscope that we were under. Okay. So for people that need perspective, that might be a little bit older, 
if you had a six-month ephedra ban, okay, or let's go back a touch further when fucking caffeine was a banned substance caffeine, by the Olympics. Right, yeah. caffeine was a fucking banned substance. Like, wrap your head around that, new people, that when Matt and I were starting it, our right, athletic and, career. And we're talking about an amount of caffeine that you could consume via coffee. 100%. Like enough of it. 100%. And they, you would have done some work for it, but you could do it. Yeah, you would have did, And not only that, but, uh, you know, they finally took caffeine off the, the banned list when they realized that livers metabolized it differently. Huh, imagine that. So one cup of coffee for one person metabolizes completely different than, say, the other guy that can drink eight. And so we come from a generation where... If you took a fucking no-dose before uh, you competed at 8 a.m. on a Saturday morning in the NCAAs, if you were tested hypothetically and tested positive for high levels of caffeine metabolites, oh, not only could you potentially be suspended for six fucking months, but you could be you could have potentially lost your scholarship for caffeine. Oh, a fucking hundred percent, or or Nyquil. Or NyQuil was the other one. Or, or Sudafed. Sudafed was the big one because it had ephedrine in it. Yeah, dude, you take Sudafed and test positive. You In Canada, you were looking at a two-year fucking suspension. Yeah, you're fucking done, dude. Right. And so... It, dude, it was so weird. I remember, I remember even drug talk. Like, it was just something you didn't fucking talk about. You did not talk about it. Like, because the consequences were so severe. So right. fucking severe. Like, uh... Someone asked me recently, they're like, why don't you get too concerned about public opinion if it's negative or positive? And, I'm, and I said very honestly, I said, I said, okay, so secretly I do. Everybody's concerned about disappointing people, and everybody is concerned when a lot of people have a negative thing to say. However, in today's social media world, um, there's, a, it, there's a lot of hate that you just can't control, like... Uh, you could come out and be like, man, I love the world today on a social media blog. And somebody will be like, fuck you, you know? So it's a little confusing, but I said at the end of my athletic career, um, I misfiled and this is a crazy story, but I misfiled the process of retirement from athletics Canada. I just fucking didn't know how to do it. And that's just reality. Like, I, well, I like, it, it, why is it any different than becoming a professional athlete, which essentially means you threw your fucking hands in the air and we're like, I'm a pro now. Yeah, it's exactly it. Right. So, so I didn't really know how it, it worked. And so I thought retiring from athletics was simply like sending an email and being like, Hey guys, I'm done. I'm not training anymore. I won't be competing. Thanks for everything. That's sort of how I thought it, it, it went. And I was like, I got a job now. I'm busy. I got a fucking athlete that's sitting in my office right now. Tell me he just knocked up his freshman girlfriend in college. Like those are real things I'm dealing with now. And that's yeah. a true story. So I misfiled, uh, misfiled my retirement papers. And because of that, I was not present for drug tests after I retired. What people don't realize is retroactively after my athletic retirement, I received, and I'll, I'll say temporary because we got it sorted, but I received a temporary two-year ban for Fucking two, year two years for, for, for failing to follow the code. 
And it, it, well, yeah, because so, essentially, uh, not taking a drug test is like saying I it is failing a drug it's test. It's failing a drug test, right? So, so I remember receiving notification that I had received a two-year ban for failure to follow protocol. And what people don't realize is, before the internet really got powerful, um, that shit was in the equivalent to USA Today in Canada. Yeah, and, and there's no way in the weird spot with the way things worked, especially with the NCAA and especially with track and field, is there's like you don't get to have a fucking press conference and back that up and be like, oh, no, I, I wasn't famous. Here's enough, the reality right? of it. Yeah. I'm not even fucking competing. And I'm, people would just go, oh, well, who gives a shit? Who gives a shit, right? Like, so, so my point is, is in particular with this case, so, A, I'm a nobody in the big scheme of things. But, it, you know, I was a hammer thrower that didn't make the Olympics. Okay, that sounds very self-deflating. Okay, in the world of track and field, I was not an Olympian. But here I am, never having made the fucking newspaper in Canada nationally for winning a national title. But there I am on the cover of the sports page for a doping violation. Right. Okay, so these people only now know me as the worst piece of news that's ever been released about me in my life. Right. And, and, and there's no, like you say, no press conferences, no way to deal with all that stuff. I had to get a lawyer and be like, do all this arbitration shit to get it sorted. Um, but but even then, but even then, dude, by the damage is done, dude, damage is done. And by the time that people had forgotten about it, I had solved the problem through legal means, but no one cared anymore because the story wasn't hot. Right. Whereas today with social media, the one benefit of that social media monster is I could have gone, came out on a YouTube video and reached yeah. everybody and been like, all right, here's the deal, and tell my story. And people have been like, oh, shit, that sucks for you, but it makes sense, right? Right. <laughs> and so, like, everything has changed so much that it makes me wonder how much longer some of these old bullshit constraints are going to last. I mean, look... I mean, look at someone who's failed drug tests repeatedly now is John Jones. Like legitimately failing drug yeah, tests. Yeah, really fucking failing yeah, drug not tests. Some, not <laughs> like, some, ah, cocaine, fuck. Yeah, not some <laughs> asshole making 27000 a year in southern Colorado that's like, I did what? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. You didn't even take the test? Like, we, we don't have an actual proof of it? All right. All right. I mean, nobody's fucking mad at Lance Armstrong anymore. About. Exactly. I'm like, so I didn't actually fail for anything, but I'm suspended, but I also retired four months ago. So basically, nothing changes. No, nothing changes. Right. All right. Thanks for fucking pissing on my name in the national newspaper, you <laughs> cocksuckers. <laughs> you bags of shit. You bags of shit. At least it was a Canadian newspaper. It's not like anyone read it. What, you want to hear something fucking amazing about that? So this piece of shit in Ohio was doing a blog in 2006, <laughs> and this fucking guy uh, wrote a blog, which we now know is total bullshit. I write a blog today about flat earth and fucking fake moon landings, and I can post that shit. Right. Yeah. And this fucking asshole wrote a blog back in 2006 calling me like all sorts of dirt. Like he was it was called like super fan or super track fan or some bullshit. Well, it turned out to be a guy that we competed against for years that we were always beating. But we didn't know that beating his athlete. Okay, but here's the fuck thing of it. This will blow your mind. Everybody listening, put on your fucking soft helmet for this one. (laughs) 
When this fucking asshole wrote his bullshit blog post at three in the morning on his computer in 2006, back then, because we didn't know better, people thought that was the same as the newspaper. The same as, dude, like I'm, as much as we're going to, you know, the internet being weird, that that type of shit got away with, people could, you know, you make a blog post and, and like fucking USA Today could quote it like it's fact. Yep. Like, Fact. well, this guy's a journalist. This guy's he a probably, fucking journalist. Probably, hey. We just assume he did his homework. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> dude, I fucking used Wikipedia as, like, source citing on papers in college, which you're not allowed to do anymore. <laughs> right? And, and not only – and so people don't understand how different it was. The repercussions of some ass fucking face in Ohio writing this blog, not only did they use that blog at my – termination of my job holy fuck yeah they brought that blog and they're like yeah this this guy wrote this news article um blah 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 and i'm like fake news yeah fake news it couldn't be more fake so he writes this fake news article which they used as a justification for termination that during an interview Four weeks later, I'm sitting with head coach Wanstat. Well, he's the head coach at the University of Pittsburgh. We're talking an NFL coach, right? I'm sitting there being interviewed by him. Then I get interviewed by the AD of the University of Pittsburgh, okay? And both are like, you ace this interview. You're the guy we want. We just have to double check on this one fucking news article. <laughs> the news article was this fucking shit face in Ohio. It's not blog. news. It's not, it's not news, a news man. article, you motherfuckers. That's how much everything has yeah. changed in the last 12 years. Yes and no, though, because, yeah, I mean, if you true. think if you think as a fucking athlete that you're getting recruited or a company's going to work with you or sponsor you and not look at all of your fucking social media posts, you're high. It's totally high. And I mean... Really fucking high. <laughs> you make a value point because I know for a fact a buddy of mine just had his entire Instagram raided by a corporation that was hiring him. Yeah, they're gonna. Yep. Are and you a fucking liability? Are you a liability? And they asked about a couple specific. Uh, it wasn't even the photos. It was his response. Oh, to look! In comments. 2012, I had a weird Nazi thing. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was a phase. It was a phase. It was that, a phase. That I was what, confused what Nazi meant. What, what, what's this thing with the bondage? And excuse me, ma'am, <laughs> but why is your ass in camel toe being displayed on Instagram? Oh, uh, I was into fitness. <laughs> I, I was in the fitness. I, I, I was big into you know. Um, the fit industry. And I don't know if you noticed this can of protein by my foot, but they were giving me about $65 in free protein a month. And uh, so yeah, a quarter, <laughs> a quarter. And so I had to, uh, I had to get a little risque, you know, to keep the fans coming in, you know, it gets the eyes, get the eyes. Right. Yeah. So you make a really good point. It's, uh, that toxicity side of it still very much exists, but it's a different beast. Oh, for, for, for sure. Yeah. For sure it is. Um, yeah, dude, it, it, it's wild. And I mean, look, I, I don't have any of the things that I currently have going on that are income generating in my life without social media. Right. You know, but, you know, back to kind of what we were talking about, like that, whatever that internal drive is, right, that people have or they don't have and, you know, that you can try to tell people that like, well, why you got this time, you should take the next eight hours of your day instead of watching TV and build the thing that you want to have. Right. Um, 
and, and, and that's the difference between those of us who, who have it, you know, innately that you just want to do that thing and want more and want to keep doing because what else are you going to do with your time? Like, cause we want progress and I'm addicted to progress and I'm addicted to making a thing. Now where, where people fuck that up is I look at what I've got going on and, and then a lot of the other people that I follow that I, that I'm into, whether that's on it or any of these other people. And, and like, for me, there's really only one way for my audience or fans or who are whatever we're going to use the name for it to pay me. And that would be through Hey Brand. Right. But I am putting out five YouTube videos a week that are entertaining and or informational. Right. I am doing a podcast once a week that I pay to travel in person to talk to people. Yep. I, I fucking pay for that. Yeah, you know, no um, one else is. Right. You know, I could not do those things, but that's how I continue to give. That's how I continue to share. And those things are all free. Yeah. You know, articles that I write every month for Mark's magazine. He doesn't pay me to write. It's just you know, just something that you provide. Yeah, it's the last four years of going to do, you know, and this is the perfect example of how things work. That like, oh, man, if that thing could just play out, that would be fucking great, right? Like this, this we'll call it luck. Yep. You know, um, you know, I spent this past week in Venice, uh, and the whole reason that we went on that trip and a bunch of other cool things happened, but the whole reason we went out there was myself and my regular camera guy, Brock, uh, went and met with a buddy of mine that I've known for a couple years now, or fuck, five years now, mm-hmm. uh, to re-edit some of the YouTube content that we've put out with Drift Lifta to try to sell a show because we've had people contact us. Yep. Now, if I don't do that five years of work on my fucking dime, traveling and filming and, and meeting people, that that last week... <laughs> And even better than that, like, like I don't. These are people that if we can cut a thing and they see it and it's interesting, would be interested to meet with us. Right, right. You know what I mean? It's not like it's not like do this thing and equals this. So, but I know how not to have that meeting. I, I just don't do shit. Don't do shit. How intense is it for you? That okay? So five years ago, you're putting this passion project together, and it, it literally you don't know. Like, you don't know where it's going. No, it was just something I was driven to do. It, exactly. And, you know, in today's world, like, even though you're a social media-based entrepreneur, really, at the end of yep. the day, at the end of the day, you are also very aware of the fact that we're dealing in sound bites and fractions. And, right. and because of that, people will see the meeting that you have with a potential producer or a meeting you have with somebody that's going th- to sell an idea to a, to a TV show. They see that as the one hour of greatness. Okay, this, that is, wow, that's amazing. You get to meet, you get to meet in Hollywood, right? Right, right. And that's, it's funny as, you know, that talking to my mom, right? Yep. Yeah. Or someone, someone like that. And she's like, oh, that's so exciting. I'm like, well, it's fucking nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Right. There's nothing there. Like it's the five years before that no one noticed that was it. And then it's, and, and so, I mean, at what point are you there? Is it, is it, if we have this meeting with, with a company, right? Is that it that I got in front of these people and presented it and they were into it? Or is it when they finally say, yes, we're really into it. Let's film it. Right. And then give us a budget. Or is it when we put, we, we film it and edit it and spend a year of our lives doing this and then put it out 
and then it goes through two episodes and no one's into it, and so they can it. Or, or is it when it's a success, when it's had its television premiere, and when that one kid that's 14 years old that you will never meet watches one episode and it completely alters his path to be more successful? Exactly. And did you? That's even, exactly right. right. And even best case scenario, let's let's say it gets picked up and it gets run for a year, and then they want a second season, and then it's two years. Right. I mean, reality of it is, is, is let's say at best we get a couple seasons out of this. I mean, this isn't a thirty-five fucking year job that like my dad had. No, exactly, and that's why my father this, is. This is just another fucking thing on the path to wherever it is I pretend to think I'm going. Right, exactly. All you know for sure is that you're moving in a direction and you're not stagnant. I know that I need to keep the fucking needle, needle moving, and there's a big part of it, too, that you start feeling momentum. And when you feel that momentum, you can't come off the gas pedal. Now, you can fucking idle back at different times to not burn out. Yep. Like, you, you learn how to... Fuck, you, you learn how to fight like a uh, shit fought this past weekend against Luke Rockhold, uh, a Cuban guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I'm terrible with names, but I know exactly who you're talking about. He's a he's uh, a savage. He, he's a savage. He was a former Olympic wrestler. He's got a fused yes. neck. Yes. I can tell you his fucking injury history, but I can't <laughs> tell you his name. All right. right. Yeah, yep. I just can't, can't happen to think of his name. Yep. But the way that guy fights are in these sprints, man. He burst. He burst, and, he, and it's explosive, and it's go, 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 go. And then he throttles back, but he keeps the needle moving so that he can recover and, and, and digest the last thing he did. Right. And think what was right, what was wrong, where do we change, and how do we not make the same mistakes again, or how do we improve on the successes? 100%. And, <clears throat> and just because we're not completely oblivious, our brain just takes a second longer. Yul Romero. Yul Romero. Yul Goddamn Romero. right. Yeah. Home run. Yeah, home run. Related to George Romero, clearly. <laughs> clearly. Director, <laughs> yeah. director of Not the Living Dead. Very similar. <laughs> Very similar. Equally as... Uh, is badass, but yeah, you're exactly it. And, and people have to understand, like we have a tendency to only get to see when the person is pushing the needle to the red, because that's the part that we, okay. I don't want to say this like poorly, but that's the part we sell of ourselves is mm -hmm. we, we sell the part of the, of the hundred percent or the, the max RPM, right? Like when I put out a post or, or when I'm, when I write something that really resonates with people, like I spoke at the power athlete, when I, when I spoke about having, you know, something I, I wrote be the last thing a person read before they passed away and it brought them a sense of relief. Okay. That's the, that's the red line. That's me of putting out, putting out my very best. That was Dude, that's peaks of mountains, peaks of mountains. What they don't understand is the four hours of, OCD just to get that hundred words the way I wanted it in my mind. Right. And, and that's the part, like I'll be, I'll be totally candid with you right now. When I decided that, uh, I was going to do this podcast and, and for people that have been listening this long, I'm taking us all the way back to Eastern Michigan. Cause I never finished that story. <laughs> so, so the chick that was a pole vaulter <laughs> at Eastern Michigan 10 years ago told me that I should get involved with these things called podcasts. It, it, oh. Dude, it might have been 12. 
because she goes, you know, I think they're going to be pretty popular. And I was like, cool, maybe I'll think. God about damn, it. if you could early adopt. Yeah, exactly. So that and Tim Ferriss, basically, congratulations, yeah, right. the fucking guy that's uh, Johnny come way too lately. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but like when I finally decided to do the this podcast and this Ecobolic Radio, what people have to understand based on my personality is I've done 18 episodes in fucking 11 days. Right. Because I want to just, if I'm going to do this, I want to get with people and I want to just be in that momentum and be in that mindset and, and get to speak with the people that I really want to be on the show like yourself, because I know they're people that I want to have a conversation with, not because I want to promote hate brand even, or not because I want to promote that we're friends, but because I've had this conversation with you in real life where nobody recorded right, and it. And other people need it. Yeah, man, because it's like, fuck, when I talk to Matt, I think about these things. If Matt and I right, can, right, can right. record you know, that, maybe someone else will think about it, too. It's, it's how I always feel about like a, you know, like a sociology class, say, at Berkeley, right, talking about ways to address or fix racism. Right. Like, you motherfuckers are in a class of people that all get it. Yes. Yes. You, you, no one here is your fucking target audience. <laughs> Nobody. It's so share it. Yeah. Get it the fuck out of that room. Yep. You make a really valid point. Like if you're trying to make a change in the world, okay, the, the last people that you hang around with are those that are also thinking and doing what you believe. Well, right. And that's, that was a weird spot with, with writing the books that I've wrote was, uh, I got some really great insight on that from Jim Wendler and even writing programming for, it's one thing to write programming for, for you, you know, right. I'm going to write program for Derek to be the fucking best hammer thrower. Cool. I got a target yep. and I know your strengths and weaknesses and what works and what didn't work in the past and what injuries you've got that we have to rehab against. And all these other things to help build this program around. But if you're writing a general program, you've got to write for the masses. You've got to yes. write this thing for those, for like a fucking five-year-old who's never lifted. 100%. Because um, they need all the information. The guy who's put in 10 years can take 5% of your program and use it and still think the program was great. Yes. Yes. But if you continue, like I was talking to Ryan family about this, if, if you continue to write your PhD level program design that you are at that level of, then by default, you are failing people. Because, right. you know, if, if elementary school started at the PhD level, no one would have any intelligence. Correct. And, Correct. And, and, and have the intent, right? Is your intent to show everyone how fucking smart you are and good you are at programming for one very, very specific thing? Or is your intent to get people better? To, to give people another tool in their box so they can empower themselves. If I, it, it, that's so important. I hope that people actually are still listening to the show because the fucking... Uh, we'll just release the whole thing in one-minute clips. <laughs> so, this you is, got 90 fucking episodes, man. We have 90 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Episode 87. Matt says, you know... Yeah. Um, but you're fuck man it's right on the money and and I know it sounds like I get really excited when we talk about stuff like this but it's because it's so essential you have to master the basic parts of the whole process the the little pieces of progression and 
what people have to remember is next fucking June is going to happen regardless of what you think, do, or say today. Next June's coming. And if you think that not spending a day-to-day mentality working on minor pieces that make major changes is a waste of time, then I can guarantee that when you get to next June and June 27th or some random day in the summer happens, you will not be where you could be as a successful person. Right. You know, you know, that was a, so I recently started taking a jujitsu, you know, this is another thing to do. That's a challenge and I fucking stink at it right. and it's I can hard, get better right in the beginning. Right. It's fucking it's hard, hard and yeah. I can get better. And the other part is having the time to go and actually take class. So you have to prioritize it. Yeah. Um, I heard the instructor of the class I go to, uh, Josh Mancuso is his name and, uh, at modern, uh, BJJ here in, in Baton Rouge and, basically said in 10 years you're going to be somewhere why not be a black belt perfect right fuck man but that that starts today starts today and 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 i know you because you know having been a world champion yourself and and a collegiate athlete and gone through a shitload of injuries like myself right could you imagine and this is how people have to change their thinking a little bit when we look back on the last 10 years, there's, you know, there's a part of you that's like, hmm, that wasn't so bad, right? Because <laughs> right. that's the way the, the mind works. You're like, oh, that wasn't so bad. I got through that. I did this. I did that. I achieved this. Now, imagine that you get in the fucking DeLorean and you roll up on yourself standing on the side of a street 11 years ago. And you take a snapshot, somehow a 30-second highlight of your best days in the last uh, even four weeks, right? And you, you take that and you show it to yourself on the street and you're like, okay, here's the deal. This is what you get to enjoy in one month in 2018. Here's the buy. And here's you show, the buy-in. You show the other 11 years, 11 months of your life leading up to that and be like, right. that's what you're going to get, but this is what you got to do motherfuckers would get nothing done in this life if we actually had to do it that way. Right. Because, because those little moments aren't why we set out to do it. Nope. It's because I love the work and I love the process because it's always spoke to me. And now I get to enjoy these moments that pop up because I love the work and because I'm always willing to be part of it. That, I'm, I'm able to seize and take advantage of opportunities that come across my way because I'm fucking prepared at all times. And you're willing to put in the details daily. Yep. I'm willing to suffer. Yep. And, and people uh, are really uncomfortable with that, right? They're like, oh, why does it always have to be suffer? Because suffer <sighs> isn't always painful. Suffer right. is sacrifice. And sometimes yes. sacrifice is one of the greatest rewards we can give ourselves. Right. You know, uh, there's uh, today I'm working on editing a video uh, about the 600 that I pulled at Mark's Little Meat uh, in, in California this year at the Sacramento Fit Expo. This was something I had no intentions of doing. Um, I did not intend on powerlifting. I did not intend on hitting a max. Uh 
Mark out of the blue called me up and he said, Hey, we're going to slingshots going to be part of this thing at the Sacramento fit expo. I'd love to have you there as an exhibition with our, our VIP group of lifters, which was like Kelly Starrett and Jen Wiederstrom and Brian Shaw mm-hmm. and Stan Efferding. Uh, so just, do you want to lift? Just, yeah, just normal fucking dudes. guys. Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> Not quite sure how I'm involved. Uh, yeah. I've, I've weaseled my way into another group. <laughs> uh, you know, but my answer immediately was fuck. Yeah. And it wasn't like, okay, well, now the work starts. You know, that was 12 or 15 weeks out from that meet or something like that that he called and had that conversation with me. Yep. Um, that was the two years after starting rehab from surgeries of, you know, how many fucking seated leg lifts did I do yeah. in my garage by myself sweating? How many days of occl- occlusion training did I do on the assault bike by myself? You know, how many days of assault biking with a straight leg brace on with my, arms. you know, just arms yeah. because I can stay metabolically intact? Yep. How many fucking hundreds of reps did I do of hat-filled squats with no bar on my back? How many hours of contemplation of whether or not any of this actually matters when you're in the shits of it? did you go through that you had to overcome just to get to the occlusion training that day? Right. Right. That's it's, it's all of those things that gave me the ability to say, fuck yes. Yep. To show up. And I did that meet. And prior to going into that, I I don't know that I had deadlifted over 400 in any of my training up before that meet. I about two weeks or the week before I flew out to go to that meet, I pulled five and a quarter for a double and I knew the way it felt because of the years of repetition right. and the years of time that I've had weight in my fucking hands. And I said, okay, we're good. You're going to be fine. I don't know that I can pull 600, but you'll pull, but I'll pull, I, I, I'll pull 585. I'll pull 575 and we'll put on it. We'll fucking fight for it. Yep. I'm in a strong enough position that I'm, that I can fight. Yep. And that was the goal, man. I wanted to see, it was a test and, and of all the cool moments that I've had in 22 years of lifting, that one struck home and emotionally was stronger for me than I ever thought that it was going to be. It was the first time in two years that a couple things happened. It was, I had enough weight on the bar that I had to give a fuck that I had to focus Yep. that I, it was, it was, it was having that thing that made me flip that switch that we all have from, from competing and especially as throwers and track and field guys, something that we do better than fucking any other sport is we can fucking turn it on and turn it off. Right. 100%. Cause I can't do it all day. No, you can't run at that level all day. I need it to turn on and turn off. And so being able to feel and access that switch again, that I had set aside and let be dormant for two years it felt good to know that you can still do that, that that guy still exists, that that dude is still in there and will get the fucking job done. If the test is there and I'm against the wall, pass or fail, and now's the time, I will perform. That's, ah, fuck, that's awesome. That was, that's what I left with that. I don't give a shit about the 600 on the bar. Who cares? It's not a PR, you know? right? Yeah, right, right. It's not a PR. I'll never deadlift another PR. No. Yeah, I came to that that's realization okay. too. Yeah. That's that's totally fine. That doesn't mean I can't make progress over yesterday. It doesn't mean I can't feel better that I was in a better position. And so your your 
your progress gets a little weird, but but that's what happens when things get fine tuned, right? Like yeah. it's easy if uh you know PRs and stuff come really easy if you've decided to get off the couch and change your life. Yes. But there's gonna be this point where you hit a plateau and you've got and and things start getting to where you're at your potential. And that potential with, with throwing for me was this mixture of speed, technique, and strength. And it got to a point where if I, I needed to get stronger, I'd probably get a little slower. Yep. And so you don't actually get any extra distance out of it. Oh, that's interesting, right? The When you start vibrating at your own ceiling, you know? Yeah. It's um like everybody... Dude, it's stealing inches and fucking millimeters in a second. Seconds. It's, uh... it's a, and so that's where you start doing the weird shit to make those little bit of gains. You start doing the like, well, how does changing my nutrition to this matter? Yep. Does this give me just that extra 1% of edge that I'm trying to find? Yep. How does, how does the introduction to cryotherapy, how does, as you have already stated, occlusion therapy change things? How does, right. How does meditation, how does meditation? Um, I remember, how can I double my reps every day because I can sit still and think about them? Cause I can, 100%. How do I use meditation to manipulate my parasympathetic before bed so that I sleep a little deeper, a little longer? I recover more and which allows me to train harder the following day. 100%. Or the one that's really hard for people to wrap their head around. How do I spend less time in the gym and more time in life so that my performance improves because I'm less isolated and more balanced in my overall thinking. Right. And and it gets, it gets weird, right? Like, you know, how does going to a concert on a Thursday night with your wife or with a date or a partner affect your Saturday? How, how does it affect your Saturday? And how does it affect four Saturdays from now? Yep. 100% because you know that you're loved and complete and, and taken care of in that side of your life you by default can have a better side of the isolation and people think they always think it's backwards. Right. But it's like, listen, you know, I had a coach, uh, someone, you know, really well, Lucas McKay's dad said to me, right. Coach McKay said to me 20 years ago, uh, because I had a coach in college that was a a little bit rough and he knew it. And I just started dating one of these six foot three volleyball players. So, you know, I had priorities at the time and hell yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. And, and I remember he said, he's like, listen, no matter what they tell you. And he's talking about my NC2A coach. He's like, no matter what they tell you, their motivations are quite selfish. They don't care. And I'm like, yeah, I'm starting to get that. He's like that you can only train for two hours a day. That means that you've got 22 hours of the day that you have to figure out how to live. And he's like, if you don't find some balance, you will hate every second of your college and athletic career. And I probably, I really like Bob. Yeah. Bob's a good guy, man. And, and I tell you what, that was, that was important for me at the time because I didn't know how to be balanced at all. So I well, know because it, there's, there's a point in your career where you feel like if I can train eight hours, that'll make me better. I'll right. be better because, because I, I yeah. did eight and everyone else did seven. 100%. But what you don't realize, you're doing six hours of that with your car in the red, and it's fucking destroying the engine. Destroying the engine, 100%. And <sighs> destroying relationships, destroying destroying the fucking best stories of your life that you'll never tell because they never happened. Right. You know, or, or realizing that 
you know, when you start looking at things that that perform at a at a crazy high end, right? Like like F one cars. Yep. There's a reason that they spent fifteen hours or a week building and perfecting the engine for the hour race. One hundred percent. That couldn't be a better analogy because I don't know if you've ever been to like top fuel funny car drag races. Two seconds. Two seconds. The race, and for those that have gotten to go to these, the race is two seconds long, and they rebuild the engine between each race. Yep. Tear it all the way down and rebuild it. It's all in the work, and it's all in the preparation. Fuck. The perfect. Uh, that's perfect. Another well, another fucking little Bob McKay thing <laughs> that I love, and besides Chancellor ending there on a great note, I'll another one that uh, a quote from him that I really liked was never forget that the world record is someone's PR and the Olympics were just a track meet. Absolutely. <laughs> Fucking true story, man. A perspective is everything. That's exactly right. And, and, and you don't get that perspective without a shit ton of time and without the reps and without the energy put into it, right? But that's where, as a listener to these type of things and what you choose to fucking consume, there's so much fuckery out there yep. that you can consume some of that and still get good from it. Yep. And these people that are focused on the material things, these ideas, these where you can be and the weird shit, or... You can listen to guys like us who've put in the 22 years, who, who've done it, who've been through injuries, and and start learning from some of the things that we did and our shortcomings to, to add into your fucking day now and be ahead of the curve. 100%. 100. Because it's like, I, I'm, yeah, I know you've heard me say this, it's like, on my best day, I'm a medium of other people's good information. On my yeah. worst day, I'm a guy that tells stories. <laughs> right no right. that's fucking dead on it's dude. dead on so as we close out man it, it's been an absolute pleasure but i know you got one big event coming up that we're both uh intimately related to and that's the arnold classic so for for those that are listening um hopefully they'll get to hear this probably not before it happens but <laughs> you know talk a little bit just in terms of how how you and how your mindset works when you do these huge events like the Arnold or the Olympia or any other event where hate brand gets to basically go from being social media yeah, to, to being a real thing to being a real thing. And what, what's that like for you when that finally started happening? Um, it's still very odd uh, because you get a grasp doing a business like I do it. Yep. Um, that there are so many fucking people out there like and what I mean by that is while I while I, we get tagged in photos and stuff like that and I see people wearing stuff and I know we're moving stuff because we had 20,000 orders last year yeah I've once one time run into someone wearing my shit in the wild really that's it once now look shit, the wild I think, I think as I'll define yep isn't at a seminar it's not at a crossfit gym it's not at a thing that i'm attending it's not at the arnold yep these are these are magnets that pulled people so it, it's like the guy that i ran into wearing hate brand at the cooler of the king super in denver a couple months ago yes that really yeah, i ran into mind. a guy wearing my hat renting a kayak in austin 
no way. And I was like, nice hat, man. He was like, holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) That's fucking surreal to me, man, because I was blown away when I ran into the guy wearing your shirt. Right. And, and and I'm still that way. And I take a moment to thank those people. And so for the Arnold, for me, like, dude, I get to have that interaction. And it's not like, oh, I get to be a star and people want to fucking take photos with me and have my autograph. It's almost like it's your chance. I get to, to say thank, fucking thanks, thank you. Dude. Right. You get to say thank you to real people. Right. Do you know how fucking cool my life is? Like, it, it's it's awesome. fucking insane. I can't believe that I get to do this, dude. It's like I've it's like I've cheated a thing that I get to travel and go as I want to every day. I fucking do whatever I want to every day. Yep. And what I want to do is the stuff that I'm doing. It's it's building hate brand. It's designing things. It's being creative. It's forcing me to think. Yep. And it's and challenging fucking, you like, to keep moving. Yes. Yeah, you have to keep that needle moving and and the trick to that is me staying motivated, whether by you know people sharing their story with me or the people that I get to meet at the Arnold or when I travel and I go to a different place and talk to new people. It's those type of things that keep it genuine and keep that create creativity in the right headspace. Right. You know that we started this because I wanted to create stuff I wanted to wear, and the rule number two for our business for me and Mike was never fucking lie to people. Right. Right. We sell it and it failed. Like we had a bag that just didn't hold up well. The the difference between samples that we got and what we actually manufactured were very different in quality. Yep. We apologized and we fucking gave people their money back. This yep. wasn't the manufacturer's fault. We didn't point the finger at a bunch of other bullshit. We fucked up. I'm sorry. Right. Do the or real. or in most cases, I fucked up. Right. And do the big thing, the hard thing. The honest yeah, I'll never fucking, you know, when, whenever a shipping mistake happens and say someone doesn't get their stuff, you know, I apologize for that. Right. I didn't fucking put any of that stuff in boxes. That doesn't matter. Yeah. I fucked up and I'll take that moment to talk to you. And that's the difference, man. Like, and I hope that people fully understand that. And I get it. I like, I'm not going to sit here and blow smoke up anyone's ass and be like, listen, hate brands for everybody. Everybody needs to wear your shirt because it'll resonate with everyone. I get it that some people it's not going to resonate at all with. They're just not going to. Yeah. And that, that's fine too. Like I've said a long time ago, I'm not trying to be Nickelback, man. No, I'm not trying. Hey, listen, Chad Kroger. All right. Is a Canadian hero. <laughs> a he is a Canadian damn hero. God damn it. So Ian Bieber are carved on the side of a fucking mountain somewhere. <laughs> they damn near grew up in the same town. I shit you not. Of course they do. Yeah. Which is pretty crazy because all things considered, you know, the fall fair must've had some pretty good musical shows at one time or another. (laughs) (laughs) You know, It's like fucking pumpkin patch and fucking Chad Kroger rocking out with, okay. You got to give Chad Kroger one prop. How the fuck does he still pull the goatee and mustache off in 2018? Well, it's because he's, he's trapped in time along with the people that are really into Nickelback. (laughs) (laughs) You make a, a, a valuable point there. Um, I remember in, two- I mean, how, how are people still go? Where do, where do people that attend insane clown posse concerts still find G code jeans? I don't know. I don't think that company exists anymore. <laughs> <laughs> when you have to eBay your fucking, <laughs> you have to eBay your clothing because of your loyalty to a band. Oh, I something's love it. gone terribly south. Um, but for all Chad Kroger's faults, didn't he, he landed Avril Lavigne, right? He did. He did eventually land Avril Lavigne. I'm sure he's had 
Well, I mean, she's into the skater boy, so I mean, it's very clear that Chad Kroger's her type. It but, seems that her relationship with the guy from Sum 41 definitely wasn't some type of weird media promotion. For sure, right? Mixed um, up by two, two, two managers who said, you know what would be good? <laughs> <laughs> you two. Two Canadians get together. Meanwhile, yeah, Just she, confuse them because they're kids. Yeah, but basically all she was really longing for was some fucking moppy-haired logger from, like, Western Canada that could rip out some, like, classic <laughs> you know, 70s rock. You know? And pound some Labatt's like a champ. Yeah, 100%. Like, whiskeys and beers and singing about farms. That's Nickelback. Chicks. Oh, yeah, chicks, loves it. Yeah, chicks. It's like, I remember a, a buddy of mine was with Chad Kroger at a bar here in the U.S. years ago, like uh, 11 years ago. and he's like, like leader of men times. Yeah, le- exactly, 100%. And I remember him the next day, he's like, dude, he goes, I had a weird experience last night. And this guy's not famous. He's not like he, he it's not like he could have got into that world through his own fame. He was, he was just a dude like the rest of us. And he's just like, the dude, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, man, I had a super weird experience last night. And I'm like, oh, yeah, what was that? And he's like, yeah, I got really hammered with Chad Kroger from Nickelback. <laughs> and this is in Cleveland, right? And uh, and I'm like, no shit. I'm like, what was that That's like? Weird. It gets worse. And, and so he, I'm like, what was that like? He's like, you know, it was, it was a pretty good night, but the guy's got like a hog on him. Right. This is a true story. Oh, <laughs> yeah. He's like, you didn't know most people that right. I have a good night and drinks with don't ever get to see my dong. So he's like, yeah, the guy's got a hog on him. And I'm like, I'm like, so I stopped like because I caught me way off guard. I'm like, uh, dude, um, how do you know? Like, di- did you guys cross swords at the urinal? And you right. Caught, like right, you right. caught a side eye. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, no, man. <laughs> Fuck, I can't make this up. He goes, no, man, we went to a strip club. And he pulled it out and tapped it on the stage. Holy fuck. That's a class move. The it's class a classic. And, and I sort of looked at him for a moment. And I'm like, you're telling me a true story, right? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, two things come to mind. One, don't tell this story anymore. Two, <laughs> <laughs> two was he standing or sitting when he tapped it on the stage? And oh, that's like, a good call. And he's like, he was sort of sitting. And I'm like, that, that's a big weapon the man has right there. It's like, it's like prehensile tail. Prehensile tail. And I'm like, that is why Nickelback is still popular. Well, he's got confidence. He's you got. Can't argue he's that. got. He's got confidence. Yeah, that's it. And yeah, that, that's why Avril Lavigne left some 41. You're right. She needed. She needed that man meat. <laughs> Chad Nickelback is. Uh... <laughs> Chad Nickelback. <laughs> Chad Nickelback is That's his middle name. Yeah. It's not his Christian name. Yeah, Nickelback's not even the name of the band. It's actually his real name. Kroger was where he shops. Yeah, Chad Nickelback is uh yeah. So so nonetheless, that's uh, a weird true story to end this on. But all I wanted to say before I let you go is as always, uh the conversations that we have, I always find that I take away some, some thought or enlightenment. So I hope that through the shenanigans, which is us bullshitting for an hour and a half, that people are also able to, to just pull a little something, even if it's just from our mistakes. Right. But yep. is, uh, so what do you got coming up? Anything outside of the Arnold things that you're super stoked about that you want to tune people into? Uh, the Arnold, uh, as well as my podcast that you were on, the Um So Podcast, which is a uh, kind of a weekly deal. Uh, the YouTube channel I think is pretty easy to find if you search Matt Vincent on YouTube. Um, there aren't 
there's always like really it's really strange right there's really cool shit coming up uh, i guess if this airs before that yep uh the weekend after the arnold is the first stop of the matt and friends tour uh okay. i am doing a seminar series uh we'll see how it goes but we've got a couple booked and the first one is going to be in chicago at strength agenda gym uh owned by a buddy of mine uh tom soroka and it's myself and ed Cohn, and it's going to be four hours long and it's free and then at the end, we're going to record a live podcast and answer questions from the crowd. And it's, you know, like I said, man, so much of the information that I was giving, that I was given through the course of my career and shit still has been free. Right. That pe- people have just shared with me because, because I showed up. Because I showed up and I was willing to fucking listen. That I showed up and I'm willing to be a white belt and 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 actually take away from a thing, right. and so that's what I want to do. That if you're willing to give me four hours of your time, we will fucking share with you. Right. And now I'm not trying to do a deadlift seminar or any of this. There's plenty of guys that do that. Hell, Ed does them. And if you want to do that, pay and go to one of his deadlift seminars. Right. But I want to talk to people about the process and the why and the why we are where we are and how we got there. I agree 100%. It, 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 you can get into the mechanics of a motor, but there's another part of this that I think you're doing a really good job of, of tapping into from my perspective, and that is getting people to think about opening up their potential to opportunity that they're maybe not paying attention to at all. Yeah, I want to teach people how and why we fish. 100%. 100%. I don't need to teach you how to cast the rod. I don't give a shit. As long as you got a rod and you're willing to go fish, we're on par. We're on par. Man, so with that, I know I could keep going a million more questions, but I just want to say thank you again for stopping by and getting a little ecobolic radio madness that is more than just sets and reps. And, and that's, yeah, dude. that's awesome. Hell yeah, man. Thanks so much, dude. It's, it's, it's always a joy, dude, getting to chat and talk. Awesome. I appreciate it greatly. All right, brother. All right, bye. Thank you for listening to Ecobolic Radio. For more information about upcoming guests and episodes, please follow Derek Witzke on his Instagram or at DerekWitzke.com. 